So I'm glad you're here with us this morning. I do a lot of reading, at least I try to do a lot of reading, and I came across a, a story, kind of a fascinating story, in one of the articles that uh, I read this week, and it concerns our text this morning, and I just want to share the story with you. It's fascinating. It says, in France, some years ago, there lived a poor, blind girl. She had obtained, according to the writer, a gospel of Mark in Braille, and that was all that she had. And she read it with the tips of her fingers, and she read it, and she read it, and she read it until her fingers became calloused, and her sense of touch diminished so that she could no longer distinguish between the characters. And in an ill-conceived effort to resensitize her fingers, she cut them at the ends, and it only made things worse. And the writer says this, she felt that she must now give up her beloved book of Mark. And weeping, she pressed it to her lips, saying, farewell, farewell, sweet word of my Savior. To her surprise, her lips, more delicate than her fingers, discerned the form of the letters. And all night she perused with her lips the book of Mark and overflowed with joy at this new acquisition. Some of you may think, well, that's kind of an odd story. It's kind of weird. It's kind of out there. In the Gospel of Luke, a woman bursts, a sinful woman bursts into a Pharisee's house. We have a Pharisee in our storage this morning. And bursts into the, the Pharisee's house, and Jesus is there with his disciples. And against all protocol, against everything that she knows what is right to do, she falls, she stands at the feet of Jesus, and she has this perfume, and she begins to anoint Jesus' feet, and she begins to weep, and tears are falling from her face, and she's bawling as, as she anoints and pays this, the utmost of respect to Jesus. And all of the religious leaders and all the Pharisees look around and go, wow, if this guy Jesus knew only what kind of woman this gal was, he would run for her. She's a sinful woman. I remember the parable that Jesus says to the people. This woman knows how much she is full of sin. And because of that, her sins are forgiven. And the Pharisees didn't get it. They could not see what she saw. The beauty of Jesus. And I believe that's what we have in the Gospel of Mark. That's what I hope that you see as we walk through, as we continue to go day in and day out, as we walk through, as we go on this journey with Jesus, I'm hoping that we are seeing the beauty of who Jesus is, his words, his actions, uh, what it means to be a disciple, and how we can actually change and be transformed and be like Jesus if we choose to do so. I'm going to invite you to turn your Bible this morning to the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 8, verses 11 through 21, as we continue down the road for Jesus. We're going to go back and forth in our text this morning. And uh, what I want to do is I, I want to set this up for you. The way that I'm going to read it, I want to set this up for you. So in chapter 8, verse 10, right after the feeding of the 4,000, Jesus got on a boat and he went to the western side of the Sea of Galilee near the area of Dalmanutha. And when they arrived, notice who greets them. That's our text this morning, Mark chapter 8, verse 11. Let me just read it. The Pharisees came and began to question Jesus. To test him, they asked him for a sign from heaven. He sighed deeply and said, why does this generation ask for a sign? Truly, I tell you, no sign will be given it. Now, 
there's a parallel version, Mark chapter 16, of this conversation. And what I want to do is I just want to read Jesus' extended conversation with the Pharisees because it's going to shed some light on where we would be in this morning. So I'm going to read from the parallel version, Matthew chapter 16. It says this, He replied, When evening comes, you say it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning today it will be stormy, for the sky is red and overcast. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. A wicked and adulterous generation looks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. Then he left them, got back into the boat, and crossed to the other side. So now we're on the other side. Jesus has gone to the other side. Mark chapter 8, verse 14, the text continues. The disciples have forgotten to bring bread except for one loaf. They had been with him in the... The disciples had forgotten to bring bread, except for one loaf they had with them in the boat. Be careful, Jesus warned. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. They discussed with one another and said, it is because we have no bread. A series of questions. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? Twelve, they replied. And when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? They answered, seven. And then he said to them, don't you understand? Don't you understand? They've been with Jesus for almost two years now. And they still fail to see and understand the nature and the character of who Jesus is this morning. There is a sense of them being spiritually blind. Not only the disciples, but the Pharisees. And that's what I, I want to look at this morning. This morning we have, a, we have kind of a warning, if you will, not to be spiritually blind to the things of God. I'm going to pray. And uh, I, I want to pray for uh, Steve this morning. Um, Steve did our pastoral prayer, and we would have asked him to pray for this, but it's kind of hard to pray for yourself for this need. But uh, Steve is actually going to uh, be uh, donating a kidney to his, to his brother in a week or so. Most of us know about this, and I just want to make sure that we collectively pray for him. So I'm going to add that to my prayer as I pray for us this morning. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your grace. Father, thank you for the opportunity that we have to gather this morning and to listen to your word to read your word and to uh, look at the unique person of Jesus Christ and who he is and what he's done for us. And Father, I pray, as the psalmist cried out, I ask that you would open our eyes that we would see wonderful things from your word, that we would be able to see the beauty of Jesus and how he wants to open our eyes to the reality of who he is and how we can transform and change our lives and give us hope. And Father, I do pray for Steve and his family, Lord, as they prepare this next week for the surgery. Father, I pray not only for him, but Lord, the, the eyes of his family, especially those that don't know you, the eyes of his family would be open to the reality of who you are, the reality of Stu, Susan and Steve's life and their family, and how they continue to look to you. So, Father, use them as a testimony of your grace. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. So, as soon as Jesus arrived on the western side of the Sea of Galilee, guess who shows up? The Pharisees and the Sadducees. Uh, these are the religious elite, and they have constantly been in a battle, probably for two years. They've been constantly challenging Jesus about who he is. They are, uh, are showing uh, uh, immense hostility toward him. 
And once again, they show up, and they, the text says this, they come to, to test Jesus or to tempt him. And what they really want is they, they want a sign from heaven. And the sign has to do with this. They want Jesus to authenticate, who are you really? Why do you do the things that you do? Why are you doing these miracles? Who do you actually think that you, what source of authority that you are, are you bringing to all of us? And they were confused because they thought that they were the religious elite, the Pharisees. And the Sadducees, they thought that, listen, we've got everything with our relationship with the Lord figured out. We follow the tradition of the elders. We follow the law. We fast. We give. We do all of these wonderful things. When it comes to a relationship with God, we're great. And Herod is also mentioned here. Herod, doesn't, Herod has no concern about his relationship with God. He's an adulterer. He's a murderer. So he really doesn't care about what's going on in his relationship with God. And what we see here is we see the, a picture of, a, of the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and, and there's this, this idea of spiritual blindness. They look at the person of Jesus. They know who he is. They've seen some of his teaching. They've seen a lot of his miracles, except they cannot come to an understanding of who he is. They are spiritually blind to the nature and the character of Jesus. And I think one of the main themes of this text is in verse 18, not only for the Pharisees, but specifically for the religious leaders, and it's this. Are your eyes, ears, and hearts open to the reality of who I am? Verse 18 says this. Jesus says this to the disciples. Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember? And, and he closes this section in verse 21 this, with this statement, Do you still not understand? And I think what we have in our text this morning, specifically in the religious leaders, is this idea of being spiritually bland. Not only the Pharisees, but the reality is we are all, until God somehow in some ways, through the Spirit of God, through the Word of God, touches our hearts and minds, we are all spiritually blind. We are no different, if you will, than the Pharisees here. There's this idea of a universal spiritual blindness. And what I mean is this. The Pharisees came to Jesus and they asked to see a sign. Authenticate your authority, if you will. And, and they're basically asking Jesus, who do you think you are? They had already seen miracles. They've seen an abundance of miracles. So it's not the idea they needed to see one more trick or one more miracle and all of a sudden the lights are going to go on and go, oh, now I get it. You healed this blind man, now I get it. That's not the issue at all. The issue is a hardness of heart. They're responding with hostility toward Jesus. And Jesus knows it. And he says, listen, you can perceive about other things, but you have no perception of the reality of who I am. Matthew chapter 16, Jesus addressed their idea their con, uh, of perception. In Matthew chapter 16, he says to them this, in that text that I read, you know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. We know what this is talking about. If you're going to go on a picnic, if you're going to go do something outside, if I'm going to go on a motorcycle ride, a lot of times what I'll do is I'll walk outside and take a look at the sky. What's going on? I want to be able to look and see, am I going to hit rain on my motorcycle trip? Or are we going to hit rain? Or are we going to hit some kind of bad weather, if we will, on this picnic? And, and Jesus is directing the attention to the Pharisees. Listen, you guys can go out and you can discern the sky, but how is it that you are religious leaders and you cannot discern my identity and who I am, despite all the things that you have seen me do? Let me ask you something. What were the signs of the times? Go back to Mark chapter 1 about the, the kingdom of God, where Jesus comes on the scene. Mark chapter, when he says this, the time has come. 
The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. The kingdom of God has come near. What is the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is who Jesus is. The rule and the reign of Jesus is being established in life, giving you victory over sickness, giving you victory over uh, demonic beings, giving you victory of all of these areas in our life where we're disconnected. The rule and the reign of Jesus is being established on earth, and they see it. They witness it, but they can't figure it out. There's a universal blindness in the Pharisees. Why is it? Because their hearts are hard. Despite all that they've seen, they've closed their hearts to the reality of God. And I think we see that a lot in our culture. Well, maybe people don't necessarily see Jesus, but they see the life of Jesus portrayed through some of his saints. And a lot of times they rebel against that. They rebel against what you would stand for, the message that you would bring. They rebel against all of those things. Why? Because there's this idea of spiritual blindness. I was spiritually blind until 23 years old. I was spiritually blind until 23 years old, until the time when the Spirit of God came and changed me on the inside. And so what we see here through the lives of the Pharisees, there's this idea of universal blindness. Paul wrote this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. You want to know why some of your friends don't believe this is why? They don't understand? It says this, the person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. They cannot understand spiritual things because they are spiritually dead on the inside. The Spirit of God needs to awaken them to the reality of who Jesus is and how we can come and transform their lives. And that was true of the Pharisees. They thought that they had all figured it out. But deep down inside, the relationship with God was described by hardness of heart because they would not bow their knee to the person of Jesus and who he is and what they had witnessed from their lives. Paul says this in Colossians chapter 1. You want to see what universal blindness is? You want to know why your friends are where they're at? Notice that Paul writes in Colossians chapter 1, he says this. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. That's what we are at. When we are outside of Christ, though we are physically alive, we are in this dominion, this state, this, this reality of darkness. We're physically alive, but we're dead to spiritual things. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. We are born in a state of darkness, if you will. And what we need is we need something outside of ourselves to awaken us, the Spirit of God, to awaken us to the reality of who God is. And what the Pharisees consistently do is they just push him away. They consistently push Jesus away. One last verse in the book of Ephesians. I want you to notice how Paul describes this spiritual darkness how he describes it. He says in Ephesians chapter 2, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world. We are spiritually dead without the Spirit of God living inside of us. And there's this idea of being blind to the reality, the nature, the character of God, and specifically the unique person of Jesus Christ. And until that time comes when the Spirit of God awakens our soul, if you will, we're going to continue in this spirit of blindness. I believe there's a, a second aspect of this blindness, and we see that in the, in the Pharisees. Sin enhances our blindness. Sin will enhance our blindness. When you look at the interaction between Jesus and the Pharisees, they weren't being very sincere in their questions, were they? No, they come to him, they've already seen the miracles, and what do they want to do? They want to test him. They want to tempt him. That's exactly what they're doing. Just like the tempter came, they come to test. They come to tempt Jesus. 
and they want him to authenticate his authority, if you will, by give us a sign from heaven. They want something spectacular. They want something out of the sky. They want something uniquely different that would uniquely tell him that he is ultimately from God. Because they don't believe. And they don't have an understanding of who he is, despite all the things that they have seen about him. Let me ask you some. How many more signs do they need to see? How many more signs do they need to see? By the way, think of Nicodemus. Remember Nicodemus, John chapter 3? Nicodemus was what? A Pharisee. He's one of their own. He was a religious leader. John chapter 3, Nicodemus comes to Jesus, and he says these words to him. He says, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Even the religious leader Nicodemus, a Pharisee, acknowledged that Jesus was doing the very signs of God. And the difference is this, Nicodemus is seeing something else. Nicodemus is seeing that God is here. Nicodemus is seeing the Messiah is here. The religious leaders, the Pharisees, what they have hardened their heart to the reality of everything that they've seen. Because they don't want to see it. They don't want to bow their knee to Jesus. They're blinded by their own sin. If you go back in John chapter 3, or I'm sorry, Mark chapter 3, if you go back in Mark chapter 3, Jesus' own family comes to him and they want to take him away, Remember? You know, you don't want to know why they want to take him away? Because they think he's crazy. They think that he's nuts. And in the same chapter, the religious leaders, the Pharisees, they watch Jesus do all of these miracles. They watch his life. They hear his words. And in Mark chapter 3, Jesus casts out a demon. They watch Jesus confront the supernatural by casting out a demon. And you know what their conclusion is? Watching Jesus cast this demon out? He casts out demons... Because he's possessed by Beelzebub. They attribute his work to satanic influence. They are so blinded that they see a supernatural miracle, and yet they attribute Jesus' works to satanic influence. Why would they do that? Paul says this. He says, they are blind to the reality of who Jesus is and what he would do. When they leave, in Mark chapter uh, 3, when they leave, to um, leave Jesus and go off and do other things. What they do in Mark chapter 3, verse 6, is they go and conspire with the Herodians to do what? To kill Jesus. They saw this miracle. They saw all of these wonderful things. And now the sin in their life, the inability to look to Jesus and who he is and what he's done for them, causes them to go off and what? To want to kill Jesus. And they begin to conspire with Herodians. See, what we see in the lives of the Pharisees is that there is this universal idea of sin. That sin, if we continue to go, walk down this road of sin, it leads to blindness, to the reality of what Jesus can do. But also, as we just mentioned, there's a spiritual enemy. There's a spiritual enemy, and that's it. Satan wants to keep people blinded to the person of Jesus Christ. He wants to keep them blinded to the reality. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He says, the God of this age has blinded the mind of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. The God of this world, he's blinded the minds of the unbelievers. He's blinded the Pharisees to the reality that what, uh, of Jesus' miracles is teaching, the fact that Jesus can cast out demons. They blinded, he's blinded them to the reality of that. 
and what is heaven. They cannot see the gospel, the good news of the reality of Jesus, displayed in what? The glory of Christ. Remember when Jesus performed the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000, I think, and the 4,000? Remember what the people says? They were praising the God of Israel. They're praising the God of Israel. We are praising the glory of Christ because of who he is and what he's come to do for us in his life, death, burial, and resurrection. And they can't see it. The Pharisees are blind to the reality of Jesus and what he would come to do. So there is a universal idea, concept of blindness, if you will. Sin keeps us there because we cannot see that we need to be freed from our sin. Satan blinds us to our blindness. And there's one other aspect of blindness. And this, and this is probably the worst part. There is a judgment for blindness. There is a judgment for blindness. If we continue and remain in our sin and continue to reject the reality of Jesus, his life, death, burial, resurrection, his offer of trusting in him through faith, there is a judgment that comes. And I think we see a subtle point of judgment here in Jesus' actions. Notice what he does in verse 13. Remember, he left, he went over them, he was confronted. They had this conversation, and in verse 13 it says this, then he left them. He got back in his boat and he crossed to the other side. I don't believe Mark is simply saying that Jesus went around and did something else. I think what Jesus is doing in a very telltale sign is he is wiping his feet from them. He's shaking the dust of his feet until a future time when we will get closer to the resurrection where he will confront them with their lives and the way that they live. I think he's simply walking away saying, listen, if you're going to continue to walk down that path and reject me, guess what's going to happen? You're going to pay the penalty of judgment. What's interesting is this. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus said, I'm not going to give them a sign now, but I'm going to give them a sign later. Remember that text? Jesus says that I'm going to give you a sign, Matthew chapter 16, verse 4. A wicked and adulterous generation looks for a sign, but none will be given except what? The sign of Jonah. So the religious leaders, the Pharisees, are hearing that there's going to be a future sign. It's going to be the sign of Jonah. What, what was the sign of Jonah? I think there's two aspects of it. The first one is this. They would know Jonah. They knew exactly who know Jonah was. They would know that he's a prophet. You know Jonah. You know the story of Jonah. What did Jonah do? Jonah went and preached what? He preached repent. Repent or you're going to face judgment. And what did the people do? They repented. That's why Jonah didn't want to go there. They repented. What's happening here with the Pharisees? They see the reality of Jesus. They see the beauty of Jesus. They see Jesus do all of these miracles. And what are they doing? They're hardening their hearts to Jesus despite all that they've seen. They are inviting judgment in their life. And I think that's in a subtle way what Jesus is pointing out by this sign. Look at Jonah. What did the people of Jonah do? They repented of their sin. Pharisees, what are you doing? You are holding your heart and being so hard-hearted at the reality of who I am that you cannot see who I am. And in our passage that I just read, Mark chapter 16, Jesus said there is going to be a future sign. And what's the future sign? The sign of Jonah. Jonah was what, three days, three nights, the belly of the great whale? A picture of coming back from the dead? 
Jesus is going to be three days, three nights in the earth of a parallel, resurrected back to life. That's the sign. Are you going to get it, guys? Are you going to understand? I'm going to come back into Jerusalem. They're going to welcome me. And I'm going to go to the cross. And I'm going to offer myself as a sacrifice for sin. And I'm going to go and I'm going to be buried in the grave. And will you see and understand that or will you continue to reject it? Will you finally get it? They won't get it if you know the story. Go back and read Matthew chapter 24, 26 about the woes to the Pharisees. Despite all that they'd seen and heard about Jesus, they could not recognize him as the Savior of the world. Such is the beauty of who Jesus is and what he's come to give to us in his unique person. Let me ask you something. Do you kind of feel the same tension about people in our, our world that, that people cannot see the wonder and the beauty of, of Jesus despite all the things that maybe they see in the lives of you and the lives of other people as a testimony? Be imitators of God, Ephesians chapter 5, as we live our lives? Or do you think they miss it entirely of who Jesus is? I, I came across this illustration. It's an interesting illustration. And I want to share it with you, and I want you to hear it, and I want you to hear uh, kind of the conclusion. Um, we can be blind. I think even us, we can be blind to the reality of Jesus. Uh, there's a well-known story about a famous violinist. I believe this is a social experiment in, uh, in Washington. Um, he took his $3.5 million Stradivarius violin. Okay, that's a miracle in itself. $3.5 million, I, I had no concept. He took his $3.5 million Stratus, uh, Stradivarius um, violin to the platform of Washington, D.C. subway, and he started playing music. He was dressed in a T-shirt and a ball cap. This guy was a famous violinist. Joshua Bell was accustomed to playing for packed concert halls and getting paid $1,000 a minute, $1,000 a minute. That's pretty phenomenal. During his 43-minute solo concert, and the subway, a total of 1,097 people passed him. I think that's why this is a social experiment. So the counting people that passed him. Only seven people stopped to listen. You know how much money he earned? $32. He probably couldn't even pay for lunch. J.T. Tillman, a computer specialist, was one of the people who walked by. He said, I didn't think anything of it. Just a guy trying to make a couple of bucks. Tillman would have given him some cash, but he spent all of his money on the lotto. Uh, yeah. When he was told that he stiffed one of the best musicians in the world, he asked, is he ever going to play here again? The reporter asked him, yeah, but you're going to have to pay a lot of money. Exactly one person recognized Joshua Bell. Her name was Stacy. She positioned herself 10 feet from Bell, front row center. She had a huge grin on her face. She said, it was the most astonishing thing I've ever seen in Washington. Joshua Bell was standing there playing at rush hour, and people were not stopping and not even looking, and some were flipping quarters at him. Quarters, I was thinking, oh my gosh, what kind of city do I live in that this could happen? That is a picture of the Pharisees. Jesus, the one who does miracles, is standing right in front of them, and they can't see it and they can't recognize it. And the only thing that they do is they harden their hearts to Jesus in such a way that they want to do away with him. They want to kill him. Let me ask you, do you ever find yourself blind to Jesus? You, know, you find yourself in a place and 
man, I've been down this road before and the same issue comes up. And that's an, it's an important issue and it's a big issue. But you find yourself maybe not trusting the Lord or doubting. I, I think what we're going to see next is Jesus is going to deal specifically with the disciples. He walks away from the unbelief of the Pharisees because of the hardness of their heart. But what he does do is he deals with his own disciples in a very, very different way. To draw them, I believe, to draw them into an understanding of what faith really looks like. There's a remedy for spiritual blindness, let me put it that way. And I think that's what we see in the interaction with the disciples, that there's a remedy for spiritual blindness. And I want to point out a couple of things. First of all, the first remedy for spiritual blindness is this. It's the idea of, of faith. Nicodemus comes to Jesus. He recognizes him as what? A miracle worker. That he's come from God. And remember what Jesus said? You must be what? You must be born again. Mr. Religious Leader, despite of all you know about your religion, something needs to happen. You need to go through a transformation on the inside and you need to trust Jesus. In Matthew... Matthew 16, what Jesus will deal with with the issue of the disciples is this. Oh, you have little faith. Oh, you have little faith. They leave. They leave the Pharisees, either on their way in the boat or, or when they get over there, they're having a conversation. And I think it goes like this, because it does say it's a discussion. They're having a conversation. Peter goes, hey, who brought lunch? Who's got bread? I don't know. Andrew, do you have it? I don't know. I brought it last time. I don't have it. James, what about you? John, no. They are having a discussion about bread. They are having a discussion about lunch. And they don't get it. And Jesus is going to confront them and says, oh, you of little faith. I just did two incredibly powerful miracles. And you didn't get it. And you're arguing about lunch? You're arguing about petty things? What's going on here? Do you not understand who I am and what's going on? And what Jesus is inviting them and he's inviting us to do is, listen, will you trust me with your life? Will you trust me for the very fact that I will give you bread? Seek first the kingdom of God and all of these things will be added unto you. What Jesus says is he invites us to ultimately trust him to come to out, of the, out of the darkness into his light. And if you've never done that, you need to do that. You need to trust Jesus for the essence of your life. Come out of the darkness and come into the light. The Apostle Paul in the book of Acts, the Apostle Paul is before Agrippa, and he's giving a testimony for his life, and he's telling uh, Agrippa what has happened in the transformation that went into his life, how he was blind and came back was able to see. And in Acts chapter 26, he describes to Agrippa his ministry, his responsibility of what he was supposed to do. Acts 26 verse 17 says this regarding Paul. I am sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God. Why? So that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. What Jesus is inviting us to do is to simply trust him, to put our ultimate faith and trust in him, life, death, burial, and resurrection, for the fact that I can have forgiveness of sin. That universal sin that's deep sound in all of us is confronted by the person of Jesus and his death on the cross. And what we are invited to do all throughout the Bible is to trust Jesus, to trust him with your very life. John chapter 8, verse 12 says this. 
when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. That's what Jesus offers, the light of life. No matter what you're going through, situations, the Bible reveals to us the light of the glory of the gospel of Jesus and invites us to trust him. So number one, wherever you're at today, trust him that he's brought you to that point. The second thing I believe that we learn from this, this idea of being spiritually blind is this. You've got to pay attention to Jesus. You've got to pay attention to Jesus. What he talks about here is he talks about the yeast of the Pharisees and the yeast of Herod. Yeast has this idea of, of something small becoming bigger or, or worse, if you will. You use it in bread. We know that. And he's talking about the teachings of the Pharisees. He's talking about the teachings of Herod. Why is that so important? Because we're living in a day and age where people are walking away from the faith. They're walking away from the faith. Last year, there was an article in Christianity Today, and the name of the article was this, the top five heresies among American evangelicals. And this is the point of the article. It says this, American evangelicals grabbed on theology is slipping, and more than half affirmed heretical views of God in the 2022 State of Theology survey conducted by Legion and Ministry and Lifeway Research. Overall, adults in the United States are moving away from orthodox understanding of God and his word year after year. More than half the country, this is last year, 53% now believe scripture is not literally true. That's up about 12 percentage points from eight years ago. So what is the trend? More and more people, evangelicals who, who label themselves as believers, evangelical believers, are basically saying, well, the Bible's not really true. And they come to the conclusion that when, when a person makes this statement, what happens is they begin to pick and choose their religion. I like this, I like this, ooh, I don't like this, I don't like this. And we begin to pick and choose what we believe about scriptures. And so what is happening? This is what's happening. Jesus isn't the only way to God. These are some of the things that are uh, the five mistaken beliefs. Jesus isn't the only way of God. Jesus is created by God. 73% agreed with that statement. Jesus is not God, does not affirm the deity of God, of Jesus being God. The Holy Spirit is not a personal being, and humans aren't sinful by nature. That's what we're dealing in the text. And all of this is coming through evangelical Christians as life begins to ebb and flow as we move further and further about thus saith the Lord in the Bible. And, and I bring this up to you simply to remind us that that's happening in our culture. That's happening within us. Because of things that are going on in our culture and things going around us, we are being confronted with differing views and more and more people are pulling away from the idea of, of thus saith the Lord in Scripture. Notice what Jesus says. Be careful. That means be mentally alert. Be mentally alert of what's going on. Pay attention to what's going on. He says this, watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. Be careful. Watch. They're both imperatives. They're saying, listen, you need to pay attention to your spiritual life. And if you're a mom or a dad, or a, you need to pay attention to not only your life, but what's going on in the lives of your children. Notice he says, watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of the Herod. What's the yeast? He's, if you go back and look at the text, in Mark chapter 16, Jesus tells them, and they come to the conclusion that the yeast is this, the teaching. Be mindful of false teaching from 
Herod, be mindful of false teaching from the Pharisees. The Pharisees say, but they don't do. Their hearts are far away from the reality of who Jesus is. Pay attention. Pay attention to your doctrine. And don't lose sight of the reality of who Jesus is. And by the way, yeast has the idea of something very, very tiny that what? That, that causes a disruption and causes the bread to rise. Listen, something really, really tiny in your life can create a problem if it's not confronted. A little bit of doctrine going off in the wrong direction will pull you and your family off. I think that's what we're seeing if those surveys are right. So, so what do we learn from this? Number one, it's faith and trust in Jesus. Number two, watch out for your life. And the last thing is this, recognize Jesus' activity. Connor kind of mentioned that. What does Jesus take them back to? Two feedings, 5,000 and the, and the 4,000. What's interesting is this, they know exactly what was left over, the baskets, don't they? They know that exactly. What do they don't get? The significance of both of those miracles. They still don't get it. And that's why he ends in verse 21. Do you not understand? So my, my, my question to us is, do, are you recognizing what God is doing in your life? Are you recognizing aspects where God is working in your life on a daily basis? Are you, are you seeing the activity of God in your life? Is there a pursuit and a desire to want to grow in who Jesus is and what he's done? Listen, it's really easy for our hearts to get hardened to the reality of Jesus. And what he simply desires us to do is to look to him. As the song said, fix your eyes on Jesus. Through it all, we're going to keep our eyes on Jesus. Father, I thank you for your word. The psalmist said, open our eyes that we would see wonderful things from your word. And Father, I pray that as we read your word, as we study about the life of Jesus, Lord, that we would see the wonder and the beauty of who you are and what you've done for us. Father, that you are a savior who loves us. You pray for us, you care for us, you are compassionate. You will never leave us, you will never forsake us. Father, we can turn to you, we can come to you, we can trust you in the midst of the difficulties and challenges of life, knowing that you will help us in our time of need. And Father, I thank you for that. Father, I pray that we would continue to trust you for good things. Father, we, we walk by faith, not by sight. And I would imagine there's some people in this auditorium this morning that, that can't see beyond today or tomorrow. And they don't know where the money's going to come from, and they don't know where this solution is going to come from. Father, you're already aware of all of those circumstances, and you continue to go before them. And I pray that you would give them and us the opportunity to rest and to trust you for what you would do. Father, we thank you for Jesus and his life. Amen.